Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. say thank you to um, Graham and Melissa and Dylan and Autumn and so many other people that helped um, make everything run and function here at Renaissance. So thankful for you guys and grateful to be back this morning. And uh, yeah, so it's like you, you live, out, live out of a suitcase for a while and sleep in various air mattresses and beds. And it's like, I just want to go home and sleep in my bed. So we're glad to be back and I'm glad to see all of you. So it's, you know, multifaceted layers of stuff, right? Um, so um, we are in the Gospel of John. And as Graham said, as we're going through this series called I Am, looking at who Jesus says he is. And as, as Graham already said, the Gospel of John gives us a close-up look at many of the claims that Jesus made about himself. And so as we go through, you may have already caught on to this, like some of those chapters are long. We will not get to everything. And so my encouragement to you is read it on your own. Read through the Gospel of John. Talk about it in discipleship. Ask questions. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it in your home as we go through the book of John. And the parts, if there's parts that are like, man, I really wish we would have talked about that. Well, then find a setting and bring it up and let's talk about it. And that's, that's probably the, the best way to do it. So I'm a little rusty here with this microphone. I'm out of practice, you know. All right. So... Um, I encourage you to read it and ask questions. So this morning in John chapter eight, most of this chapter is a back and forth conversation between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. The religious leaders don't think that he has any right or authority to what he claims. And there's two specific claims that Jesus makes about himself in this chapter. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And then in, in verse 58, towards the end of the chapter, he simply says, I am that might seem like, okay, well, you are what? Well, it's a massive claim where Jesus is saying, I'm God. I am the son of God. I am one with God. So these are massive claims which Jesus is making. And the religious leaders of the time, many of them were rejecting these things. They're like, no, it can't be. This is not true. And many people reject these things today. And I would say even with us, it may be the case this morning that most of us in this room are followers of Jesus. And we would say, well, I don't reject those claims. But what we're gonna see, what I wanna challenge us with and what my own heart was challenged with this week is we can say, well, I don't reject those claims. But then in our life, in our practice, in our thoughts, the way we live, we can functionally reject those claims. We can live as if they're not really true. And so my, my hope this morning is that we would see and wrestle with these questions of, is Jesus really who he says he is? And what does that mean in our lives? As we get into God's word this morning, don't let this be a robotic, I get up, I go to church, I go home, go through my week. Let's listen to God's word with our hearts this morning. God speaks through his word. Listen expectantly as we say, God, what do you want to speak to us? John chapter eight, we're gonna read verses 12 through 38. So it's a little bit long, track with it, it'll be on the screen, and then we'll talk through it. Here's what it says, John chapter eight, starting in verse 12. 
Remember, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish religious leaders. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I going, you cannot come? Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's pray before we jump into this. God, would you help us to listen with our hearts this morning? God, it is for you that we gather. As a church, as a body of Christ, we come together this morning to fix our eyes on you to listen for your voice, to be reminded of your goodness, to be corrected in our hearts where we've gone astray. And so God, we invite you to speak. We ask that your spirit would draw us close this morning and speak to our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a whole lot there. We're gonna jump into it and get into uh, where I kind of sensed the Lord was leading me to take it this week. But I have a question. Um, have you ever, is anyone claustrophobic? Anybody, you can raise your hand, right? Um, have you ever kind of been in a situation where you're like, I feel trapped and I feel claustrophobic, right? Um, so this, we, we were able to go visit family and one of the things we got to do, Abby's, um, Abby's parents uh, just 
incredibly graciously took us to Disney World in Florida, right? I've never, I went when I was a kid, but it's a long time ago. Um, and so if you love really hot weather, um, standing in lines, crowds and crowds of people, you'll love Disney World. Like they say it's the happiest place on earth, but as you walk around, parents are just like, stop that, be quiet, shut up. You know, like it's like really happy place, right? And I don't know if you're been in So anyways, incredible time, it was fun. It was not restful, but it was fun, right? Um, so one of the things that happened, um, I love roller coasters. Like you, like I, you know, you can't, I can't find a roller coaster that's like too fast or too much. Like I love roller coasters, I love that. Well, there's this one ride called Mission Space and it's like this space simulator thing. I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I, I had Annabelle and Brock with me and so we go, Maya was with us too, but we go through the line. Maya said, I don't think I want to do this. I said, okay, I've learned like if they have some hesitation, let's let them bow out, you know, on the rides. Um, so we go, we get in and it's like getting kind of intense. It's like there's motion sickness and there's going to be spinning. And I was like, oh, I love rides. Right? So we get in this little thing, like, and it's supposed to simulate going to space. So you get in this little tiny, I don't know what it was, capsule thing and they close the thing and then this like the door closes and the screen comes down in front of you and I'm like okay we're here okay we'll see how this goes and then there's a screen in front of you that looks like you're in a rocket going up into space but what happens is that the actual device takes you up sideways and spins super fast so you feel like the g-force and it feels like someone's like sitting on you so this starts and I'm like oh gosh I don't like this at all like I was like stressed out and I was worried about Brock and Annabelle I was like if they hate it I can't help them and we're just stuck and so I was like it's okay guys it's gonna end eventually and they're like no it's great like okay I and so we came out of that and I was like okay I found the thing that I don't like right the claustrophobic I felt trapped and I desperately wanted to be out of there. And I was like, it's going to be over in just a moment. So uh, yeah, anyways, so that was like that. Jump with me here. A lot of John chapter eight deals with this concept of sin. A lot of John chapter eight and Jesus comes down to what we just read. He says, people can be enslaved to sin. People can be entrapped in sin. And so I am very okay with saying that sin is a lot like mission space. Like that thing was awful, right? Okay, so track with me. But we know humans are sinful people. Every single one of us, we are selfish, prideful, greedy, lustful, and on and on. And even more than that, our sin is against God. It's rebellion against him as the true and only king. Because every one of us has broken God's law. And because of that, we face the consequences of our rebellion, sin, traps us and entangles us. And so maybe you're thinking, okay, we're going to have a whole sermon about sin, another sermon about sin. Well, well kind of, it's because where God's word leads us. But here's what I want us to see. We wrestle with this. It's ongoing. We face the temptations, the consequences of our sin, of others' sin. We face it on a daily basis. So what do we do about that? Should we care about it? Should we try to improve? Popular culture tells us one of two things. It either says, hey, look inside, be your best self, or it says, who cares? Do whatever you want to do. Do what feels right. Do what's best for you. No one can judge you, right? These are kind of the two messages that are in our culture. You kind of come into like the religious world. Religion tells us to do certain things with the hope of God being pleased. It says, hey, you've got an issue with sin? Well, if you just are better, then that God will be happy. That's the, the concept of religion. But what does scripture tell us? How do we deal with our sin? How do we find freedom? And this issue matters. We will live enslaved to sin 
if we don't find freedom from it in Christ? And how do we do that? And the good news is there's hope. There's a way to deal with the sin of our past and our present and our future. If you're a Christian this morning, there is a way to walk in freedom from the sin that we often know all too well. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you have a lot of questions, maybe you're a skeptic of all of this, but I would say this, there is a way that you can be set free from the nagging sense of guilt and shame and fear that can plague our hearts. What I want us to see this morning is that it's simple, but it's life-changing. Jesus is able to set us free from sin. Jesus is able to set us free from sin. So we go through this this morning. In order to see how Jesus is able to set us free from sin, we must confront the same questions that the people of Jesus' day were confronting. And the three questions this morning, this will be on the screen. Can we believe Jesus? Will we believe Jesus? And what happens when we believe Jesus? And I'm using that word believe there in the sense of put our faith and our trust and our reliance on him and who he is. Not necessarily believe that he like exists. We're kind of coming past that to say, will we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and what happens when we do that? So first of all, can we believe Jesus? If Jesus claims that he is able to set us free from sin, can we believe him and why? This was the heart of the argument here in John chapter eight. Jesus made claims about himself and the religious leaders said, why should we believe you? What right do you have to make these claims about yourself? Essentially, they were saying, who do you think you are and what gives you the right? And all over the book of John, Jesus has these conversations with the religious leaders all over the gospels. They go back and forth. And Jesus is clearly claiming, hey, listen, you guys don't see this or you refuse to see this. I'm the son of God. I am the Messiah who was promised, who came, and you are rejecting it. In verse 12, it was what we read. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a very important claim. By saying this, Jesus was making it clear that these religious people were in darkness, right? He's telling them something here. He's like, hey, listen, you guys need light. You're in darkness, You jump over to verse 24 and Jesus kind of doubles down on this. And when you kind of see what, you know, think about these guys. These are the religious leaders. They are keeping the law. They are doing everything they can to do what God wants them to do. And he comes to verse 24 and he says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, meaning the son of God, you will die in your sins. These guys did not like hearing these things, right? These are strong claims because Jesus is telling them that apart from him, people will die in their sin. They will walk in spiritual darkness. Look in verses 32 and 36, Jesus is claiming the ability to set people free from sin. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36 says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. These are the claims that Jesus is making and they fly right in the face of these religious leaders who said, no, our righteousness comes from us doing what's right, us keeping the law, us earning our way, us pleasing God. That's where our righteousness comes from. And Jesus says, no, you're in darkness. And if you stay that way, you'll die in your sin. You need light. You need forgiveness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
Second claim that Jesus made, and we're asking this question, can we believe him, comes in verse 58. We didn't read it, but you can jump down there and this will be on the screen. So Jesus says to them, so Jesus said to them, he's talking to the same people, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What's, what's happening here? Well, leading up to this verse, if you read that, that section there, the Jewish leaders are pointing to their heritage, their history. Abraham was their father, meaning Abraham was the father of the Jewish, pe- Jewish people. And they're saying, hey, listen, Jesus, don't you know who we are? Abraham is our father. We've got a really good pedigree. We've got everything going for us. They take pride in this. They think they're okay. They think they're in the right because of their history. In verse 51, Jesus tells them, he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And the Jewish leaders say, hold up, wait a minute. Abraham, our great father of the faith, died. And they say, are you claiming to be greater than Abraham? And then we come to verse 58 where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I'm not a grammar teacher, but that's just, that's kind of bad grammar. Before he was, like the right way to say it in, in English grammar would be before, I, before Abraham was, I was. No, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he's pointing to something that these Jewish leaders knew very well. If you go in your Bible, all the way back to Exodus chapter three, we have the story of Moses. And Moses was called by God. There's the burning bush and Moses goes and God says, Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt to rescue my people out of slavery. And Moses is like, I can't do it. I don't know how. He says, God, okay, I'll do it. But, but what do I do? Who, who, who do I say? Who's giving me the authority for this? And God tells Moses, says, tell them I am has sent you. And the word I am, the phrase I am was basically God saying, this is my name. This is who I am. And so when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he is telling them clearly, I am God. There's no difference. I am fully God and fully human. It was a packed statement with a lot of theological stuff and these Jewish religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying. Now, why? Because in verse 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. Like, they're like, you have to die. They were going to kill him because of these statements that he made. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. By saying that, by saying this, by saying I am, Jesus is claiming to be God. And these claims of Jesus are massive. He is claiming to be God and to be the only way that sin is dealt with. Can we believe him? Where does he get this kind of authority? Well, his authority comes from God the Father. In verse 28, Jesus says, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And over and over in the book of John, he says, I, I have been sent by God the Father. I have authority because of God the Father. And the question that the religious leaders faced was, can we believe Jesus? Can we accept his claims? You look at verses 17 and 18, you know, there, there's in this conversation, he, they, they said, you know, how are we supposed to believe you? They say, there's supposed to be two witnesses. And Jesus says, yeah. Your law says there's supposed to be two witnesses. He says, I'm bearing witness about myself and my father is bearing witness about me. He's pointing to the fact that his authority comes from God the Father. 
Can we accept his claims? Every person must wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? Maybe you've heard before the quote from C.S. Lewis that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord, right? Or Lord, and maybe you've heard that before, but it really is helpful because what we have to understand that the things that Jesus says here don't leave us any other options. Like Jesus was, like many people can say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher or this or that. But Jesus does not leave us that option. Because what he's claiming, he was either a lunatic, he was either crazy, he was either lying, or he is who he says he is. So can we believe Jesus? Now, facing these claims that Jesus made are not just for people out there. As I said earlier, these are for us, you and I today in this room. Because when we believe the claims that Jesus made about himself, it changes the way that we live. We can believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he was sent by God as the son of God with the authority of God. When we take the whole book of John as a whole, we kind of skip ahead to the end, we see the outcome of this authority. And where does it end? In the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity and rose again from the dead, conquering death and hell. So if we're asking this question about where does, how do we deal with sin, Jesus shows us that he has conquered sin. Jesus is no ordinary person. He is God in the flesh. And so we have to wrestle. Can we believe the claims about Jesus in John chapter eight and all over the Bible? Can we believe what God has said about himself? The second question though is, will we believe Jesus? We must wrestle with this question because it's not enough to say, can we? If we come to the conclusion that, oh yeah, we can believe in Jesus, then we must face the question of, okay, will we believe him? Will we surrender our lives to him? Is it going to change us? Is it going to impact us? Because you and I know that it is completely possible to say that we believe in Jesus and yet live like we don't. I've done it many times, and I'm sure that you have too. We say we believe this, and yet we live differently. We see it in our text today. Verse 30 and 31, Jesus is teaching. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. And I was like, as I was reading, I was like, oh, it's interesting. They're having this conversation, and these people say, okay, we, we, we're getting this. It's coming into focus. They believed in Jesus. That's great, right? But as we continue to read, we see that they end up wanting to kill Jesus. Verse 37, verse 59, they're like, no, we're gonna kill you. So what happened? What happened to this belief? They were faced with the question of will we believe Jesus? And as Jesus was talking with them, it seems that some were drawn in. They wanted to know more. And as they continued to listen, they rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. They rejected him as the son of God. They wanted to rely on their own righteousness, on their connection to Abraham rather than in trust in Jesus. Will we believe Jesus? And you and I are in danger of doing the same thing, saying that we believe in God and yet living in a different way. I've heard it called, uh, one pastor called it Christian atheism, saying you believe in God yet living as, as if he does not exist. I think we do this on a lot of things. We, 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 we like to disconnect things in our brain. Um, I was thinking about an example, and I think junk food's a good example of this. We're like, I know that junk food is bad for me, but I'm going to live as if it's not, right? So we do this, I think, in lots of areas of our lives. We say one thing, oh yeah, 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 but then we live out something differently. Will we believe Jesus? So these religious leaders here are a warning to us. As it says, 
as he was saying these things, many believed him. All right, good. But they did not continue in that. They rejected. When it came down to the fact of, will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you depend your life on him? They said, no, we cannot do that. And they went so far as to want to kill him. And these, these religious leaders are a warning to us. Will we put our trust in Jesus in our daily lives? Or will we say we believe yet reject Jesus in how we live? Here's the reality. Be honest with yourself. I have to be honest with myself. We are incredibly prone to doing this. We are so prone to coming to church and then forgetting God the rest of the week. We're really, things like that, we're good at that. It's easy, right? It's our sinful nature. We're prone to, okay, I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm gonna read my Bible, and we read it, and then we put it down, and we walk away, and like, it has nothing to do with our day. We're prone to this. We need God's help. We need God's grace. You know, he is so good to give it. He's not looking for our performance. He's not looking for us just to be better. He's looking for our hearts surrendered, moment by moment realizing that we need him. And so this is not a message of, hey, get yourself together, work hard, believe, make sure, you, you're, make sure your life matches up with your beliefs. I mean, yes, but it's not in our own power. It's the grace of God. And when we fail, we run to him and say, oh God, I have... I believe in you and yet I've run off to do this. I believe in you and yet I've not, I'm not living it out. God, give me your grace. Help me today. And God loves a humble heart and God is drawn to a humble heart. So this is not, hey, get yourself together. It is run to Jesus. And when we fail, run to Jesus. This passage teaches us that saying we believe in Jesus is not the end of the story. What we're gonna see is that abiding in him or continuing in him is what shows that we truly, we are truly his disciples, his followers. We see that in verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Okay, so can we believe Jesus? Will we? And then the final thing, and I want this to be practical, because this passage is showing us that Jesus is able to set us free from sin. What does that look like? So the final question is, what happens when we believe Jesus? What are the results of true belief? Like any good pastor, this point has subpoints. So these will be on the screen. Two things I want us to see from this point here. And I want, I, this, is, this is the application. I want this to be practical in our lives. First thing is this, we abide in his word. And secondly, we are set free from sin. There's lots of other things that happen, but these two things I wanna focus on. What happens when we believe Jesus? First of all, we abide in his word. And as I said, we see this in verse 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that word abide mean? If you've been around Renaissance long, we've preached about this in various ways in different times. This is such an important word, an important concept. Here in this setting, it's almost as if it means to continue, right? These, some of these Jewish people, they started believing, but they didn't continue. They didn't stay there. They didn't stay in that place of belief. They said, we believe a little bit. No, we don't anymore. So Jesus says, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, if you continue running to me and trusting me, it's evidence, it's proof that you are my disciples. Notice the if in verse 31. This is evidence of our, of our belief. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
This, this act of continuing in Christ, walking with him, abiding, is evidence of our hearts being surrendered to him. It's evidence of the belief. And we, when we put our trust fully in Jesus, it is not simply a declaration of our mouths, it's a surrender of our hearts. Like abiding is resting in him. It's putting all of our eggs in one basket, knowing that in Christ, in Christ alone, we find our life. And so to abide is to draw our life from him. It's coming to that place. Yes, Jesus, I believe you. I put my trust in you and everything I need comes from you. And it's this moment by moment acknowledgement of that, that we are depending on him day after day, practically it looks like day after day, reading God's word, ongoing prayer, ongoing dependence. When we fail, we run back to him. This is abiding, continuing in him. And when we abide in Christ, we are rejecting every other thing in this world that promises to give us life. It's a moment by moment decision to recognize our desperation and our need for God over everything else. As I've said, because I know this so much in my own heart, when we fail, when we come, and sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, I am all over the place here. I am not abiding in Christ. I am not where I need to be. When we kind of come to our senses, do we beat ourselves up? Oh, you failure, what have you done? Yeah, it's easy to do that. But no, we run back to Jesus. And we say, okay, I'm not abiding. And it's, it's instantaneous because it's our heart to say, okay, Jesus, I need you. I'm abiding in you. And it's moment by moment. And when we fail, it, abiding looks like running back to him over and over, always believing that he is our only true source of life. He is the ultimate prize. He is what we are longing for. Because we've got to know Jesus is not an add-on to our lives. Jesus is not something we say, oh yeah, I believe, yeah, that's good. That's a good thing for me to think and believe. He's not just adding something. Everything belongs to him. And he has authority over every area of our lives, our finances, relationships, careers, sexuality, all of these things. Abiding in Christ is saying, okay, I'm not in charge, but God, you are in charge. And abiding is an active acknowledgement of this. That all we have belongs to Christ and all we need is found in Christ. But think about it. This is not the message that we hear in our daily lives. We hear, you need to buy this. I think my daughter's throwing a fit. I'll just acknowledge the noise in the room. Is that Christopher? Uh, this is why I like not live streaming anymore because we can just like, you know. All right. If, I was distracted, so you probably were too, right? Right, abide in Christ. This is not the message that we hear. In our daily lives, we hear, hey, you need to buy this, or you need to travel here, or you need to look like this. It's every ad, every commercial, every billboard drawing us away from true belief in Jesus, drawing us away from abiding. But all we have belongs to Christ, and all we need is found in Christ. So when we believe Jesus, one of the results will be we abide in his word. And it's not even just us being like, okay, putting forth a bunch of effort. It's just saying, okay, my trust is in you, so I'm yours. I'm abiding in you. 
Okay, one of the second results, what happens when we believe is that we are set free from sin. This is really kind of gets to the main point of where we're heading with all this. John chapter eight has a lot to do with sin. The religious leaders thought that they could deal with their sin by keeping the law, but their own, deal with it by their own righteousness, by their religious heritage, but none of that is enough. We have no way to deal with our sin and our shame and condemnation apart from Jesus. Because freedom from sin does not come through religion, through family history, through your ancestry, through you know, any of these things. Because, and what happens here is Jesus was challenging the way that these people dealt with sin. I mean, just face-to-face confronting, no, you can't fix your sin by your righteousness. He says, you're gonna die in your sin. This was the issue. And I think there's, there's a couple of ways for us this morning to think about sin. We can think about the big picture, which we should, that everyone has sin, sin separates us from God, but that through Christ, we can be forgiven. And for many of us in this room, that is our story. And that's an incredible thing, that Jesus gave his life on the cross, has conquered sin and death. But we also know that when we put our faith in Jesus, sin does not just disappear. We also deal with sin on a daily basis. And you know what that is for you. I know what that is for me. There are temptations. There are nagging sins. There are areas of weakness. And there are places where we just blow it and we just really mess up. That's just me. I'm just talking about myself. I don't know about you, right? Because belief in Jesus doesn't make sin just kind of disappear. So what does it mean to be set free from sin? What is Jesus getting at here? Because this chapter shows us that Jesus is able to set us free from sin. A result of belief in Jesus is that we are set free from sin. We look at verses 32 and 35 and 36, and we've said these already this morning. And Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 33 says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I love what Jesus is getting at here. He is telling these guys, you can experience freedom from sin. Right now, you're enslaved to sin. You've got no option. You're stuck. I can set you free. And we think about this imagery here that Jesus is saying you can have freedom and you can be a son or daughter of God. He's saying, hey, you're enslaved to sin. And in this setting, in this context, the slaves did not, they, they, didn't, they weren't members of the household, right? They were just slaves. But he says, you know, the slaves are not gonna be there forever, but the son remains forever. And he says, if the son sets you free, he's talking about himself. Jesus says, if I set you free, you will be free indeed. You move out of your slavery to sin into sonship or daughtership, a son or daughter of the king of kings. Through Jesus, we move from being slaves to sin to being sons and daughters of God. Sin no longer rules over us. Sin no longer has the final word. So what's it mean to be set free? Because we fail, we face sin. But when we are set free by Jesus, sin is no longer in charge. Jesus is, he has conquered sin and death through his death and resurrection. 
And this is such good news. I think one of the best ways to illustrate this is here in John chapter eight. We didn't read it this morning. If you look at verses um, one through 11, we have this story of the woman caught in adultery. And this is interesting in a lot of ways. And you look in your Bible, here's what mine says. It says the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses, right? Okay, that sounds very theological. So what that simply means, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means that this is a story that likely happened, likely Jesus, I mean, it falls exactly in line with who Jesus is, but historians, it's not in the earliest manuscripts. So they give us this note, right? Doesn't mean it's not true. It's just, we have this head note, this, this, this heads up here, right? But what we see in it is true of who Jesus is. And in this story, these religious leaders, it's kind of a setup, right? They find this woman and it said, they bring her to Jesus, that this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Well, I don't know how all that works, right? But it seems like it was a setup. I don't know, whatever. There's a lot of questions here, right? But they bring her to Jesus and says, hey, this woman was caught breaking the law, sinning, caught in the act of adultery. She deserves to die. That's what the law of Moses says, that she deserves that we throw rocks at her until she dies. And so the story, it's kind of intense, right? But Jesus, you know, if you know the story, Jesus says, he basically starts writing in the dirt and then he tells the people, he's like, hey, if any of you don't have sin, whoever doesn't have sin, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. And Jesus continues writing in the dirt. There's a lot of questions. Okay, what's he doing here? Was he like listing out their sins? Was he writing their names? Was he, you know, who knows? I don't know. But these, you know, it says from the oldest to the youngest, they started just dropping their rocks and walking away. They're like, okay, Jesus, you understand? But what's so important for us to understand how Jesus sets us free from sin is verse 11. Everyone leaves in verses 10 and 11. Everyone leaves and Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Think of the beauty of the grace here where Jesus says no. So what it means to be set free from sin is that we are not condemned because of our sin. We no longer face death because of our sin. And Jesus comes to this woman in grace and says, no one condemns you, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. And it's the same thing that God would say to us. In Christ, you are not condemned because of your sin. That does not mean you just go live whatever you wanna live. It says, no, go, live a life that is honoring to God. Your life has changed, your heart has changed, so follow Jesus. And when we look at Romans chapter eight, verse one, we see this again, where Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, Jesus is able to set us free from sin We fail, we don't have it all together, we're imperfect people. But through Christ and his grace in our lives, we do not have to live enslaved to sin. And when we fail, we run back to Jesus. Because the gospel shows us is the good news is that Jesus offers freedom. And we saw this in verse 24 where Jesus tells them, he says, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is true of you and I, that is true of everyone around us. Apart from Christ, we die in our sin. 
Where do we find hope? We find hope in Jesus. We find hope in the fact that Jesus says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We find hope in the fact that God in his grace sent Jesus to rescue us out of our sin. It would be a cruel thing if God said, you have sin, now work really hard and try to get back to me. Try to earn your way back. That would be a cruel thing, but that is not the God of the Bible. That is not Christianity. Christianity says, yes, you have failed. Jesus, Jesus didn't, I mean, he, he fully acknowledged this woman had sinned. He's like, he didn't disagree. But Christianity tells us that God is a God of grace who forgives our sin, not just because he's some nice God, but because he paid the price for our sin on the cross. It is nothing we can earn, but what do we do? We turn to him in faith and in repentance. We turn away from our sin and we say, okay, my life is not my own, but Jesus, I put my trust in you. Jesus is able to set us free from sin, not through our effort, our goodness, our heritage. And the reality is that without Jesus, we are condemned, but in Christ, we are set free. So this morning, as we close, I challenge you to think about these things. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you need to hear clearly with your heart, apart from Christ, you will die in your sin. But God extends his hand to you and says, come to me and I will give you rest. Put your faith in me and your sin can be forgiven. You can come to a place where you're no longer a slave to sin, but you are set free as a son or daughter of God. We would love to talk with you about that. Maybe this morning you just need to evaluate your heart and ask yourself, will I believe Jesus? Will I lay my life down and follow him? Maybe you need to search your heart and say, okay, are there, are there ways that I'm saying I believe in God and yet I'm not actually not living that way? I'm actually not believing him. Are you submitted to his authority in every area of life? Are you trapped in sin? And you'd say, I want to be set free. We want to help with that. We want to pray with you through that. But we want you to find freedom that comes through Jesus. So today, run to Jesus. He loves broken, messed up people. He loves humble hearts that recognize their need for him. I'm gonna close with this because I was preparing this sermon. I was trying to, okay, here's, where's Jesus? What's Jesus talking about? He makes these claims, he does these things. And then I stepped back for a minute and I said, what's happening under the surface here? And it's this, this passage, John chapter eight, screams to us freedom and life. It's what we long for. It's what the people around us long for. We want freedom from our sin and we want life and that's what Jesus is inviting us into, freedom and life, abundant life, no longer enslaved to sin, no longer in darkness, no longer depending on our own goodness or our own effort, but freedom and life that comes through Jesus. Let's pray together. Let's thank him for that this morning. Let's ask God for grace to follow him and walk with him that our, our words, our belief, and our life would match. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how your word shows us that there is life. There is a way to find hope. 
I thank you, God, because of the cross that we are not condemned. For all of those who have put their faith in Jesus, we no longer live under the condemnation of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free. Lord, draw our hearts near this morning as we rejoice in this. God, let this message of freedom, of life and hope, God, let us, let it send us out with joy to proclaim your goodness to the people that live near us, to our friends and our neighbors. We have something that matters. We have a way of hope. God, you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our time together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.